You should just basically, definitely don't tell us, just always start recording. You missed the start of the episode. No, we didn't. Just kidding. It cannot start until we say Haggerty Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Carmudgeon Show, part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Hag- Haggerty Pro- <laughs> can't do it. Well, you just have to clap then. Oh, that I can do. Done. You, you have such a hard time. What I loved was that we were at Radwood a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, God. <laughs> and people just wanted to see Derek try to clap. <laughs> it was so traumatic. It was funny. But anyway, the, the Carmudgeon Show is a part of the Haggerty Podcast Network, as we now know, because we were, we keep forgetting to say that. Yes, Haggerty Podcast Network. I remember to say it again. Okay. That's all, literally the only deliverable we've ever promised, right? <laughs> is that so we, we have to say Haggerty Podcast yeah, Network. We, we can go. Oh, yeah, okay. That was, that's a wrap. <laughs> no. This has been episode 61. We have things to talk about. Oh, yes. What the things do we have to talk about? Um, well, first of all, I just had another cooter. Bless you. Or my condolences, or I hope it gets well soon. Camisa's <laughs> ultimate drag race replay. Mm. It's the drag race show. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we did the we did, other drag race show. Show RuPaul doesn't count. Oh, okay, that's the other one. Um, that's the other one. Um, I assume that's what you were talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So we just had the the second one go live that we filmed at the same time. So we did Bronco Raptor versus the monster truck a couple weeks ago. And that was mm-hmm. so stupid. So we got Bronco Raptor, which is a 418 horsepower V6. Is and there a V8 version of that coming? Car companies always say, we do not talk about future product. The problem is the platform underneath Bronco is Global Ranger. It was not engineered for a V8. Mm. That V6 is 60 degrees, if I, if I remember correctly, which means that a V8 would be a lot wider. Right. So I don't know if it'll fit. Mm. I doubt it. Um, I mean, people have often said things were not going to happen or things were not supposed to. I mean, the history is littered with the debris from chassis that have been modified to accommodate larger engines. R129, which was never um, supposed to have a V12. Yes, R1 and a W124. God, of course, we're talking about Mercedes. Of course, All the, deep yeah. into the truck episode, 46 seconds in. Hey, listen, W124 500E is the best performing Revelations episode ever. I think it's currently, it's your car. So you should know that fucking 9 billion views at this point. It's ridiculous. That's why they got so expensive. Yeah, because everyone likes them. Um, yeah, so Bronco Raptor with a three liter V6. They could put the three and a half liter V6 from the F-150 Raptor in there and call it a Bronco Raptor R. I think that's more Raptor. likely. Raptor. But they, it needs a V8. So that was the the takeaway from that. So a, 390, a 392 Jeep Wrangler Unlimited Rubicon. So that's a 6.4 liter. It's just a bunch of words. Okay, so it's a Wrangler with a 6.4 liter V8. It's 470 horsepower. It is the dumbest fucking thing. Oh, now I'm going to have to do a um, insert. I accidentally street raced one when when we were on our way back to their the hotel. And uh, Anthony was driving next to me. And we were just talking and I floored it and he floored it at the red light like he knew. In what? He knows better. I was in the Defender 90 V8. So mm-hmm. basically a Tonka truck with a stupid 518 horsepower V8 in it. Uh, I couldn't even hear. I could literally, at one point you'll see in the video, you can look at the tack and you see it like shift at six grand. Can't even hear the Land Rover. 
and my ears rang for three hours from the from that wrangler it's so fucking loud but they didn't put haven't put the didn't won't put the um the supercharged one in the hellcat motor i yeah. god fucking hope not that that would be the scariest thing i've ever heard or driven or no no everybody dies no it's it's not yeah because really. it's like a separate frame jobby still with so is live the, so is the bronco but holy shit no they're the difference in ability to drive it at normal slash well normal to us speeds in between the the wrangler and the raptor is just not even close um you just feel like you're sla- strapped to a rocket sled well rockets sled with death wobble on the front axle and i mean it's it's pretty scary but i i kept thinking that if the raptor had the 392 motor in it it would be the best truck in the world and i'd have to buy one well, um, good thing they didn't do that good thing they haven't done that and then and definitely will not be putting a chrysler hemi in there uh and then we had a g63 amg which is just the mac fucking daddy like that car s- open the door the sound of the door latches yes that is legendary the door latching sound the yep. locking the sound door, you the inhale, central locking sound and then you inhale it's the best smelling car on the market so oh my god from start to finish that thing is just i don't want to use the term luxury but fucking amazing fucking man then you floor it and it pulls off a 3.9 seconds zero to 60 basically yeah. doing a wheelie the wrangler almost does a wheelie too um i would think that with the defender 90 because the wheelbase is so short it would run a genuine risk of that but i guess that car's pretty unstable on high speed i don't want to say unstable but it's it definitely moves around a lot but it has a 40 something mile an hour first gear where the other cars are in like the 28 to 32 range yeah right so, so it doesn't actually tap it off the line it's a half hmm. second behind the the g on um zero to 60 but if you look at 60 to 100 or 60 to 120 times it's actually quicker hmm. than the g so that ultimately would win the race um, but it's, you know, that zero to 25 mile an hour costs it almost a half a second, even if you brake torque it. But, you know, the G, you can brake torque and then spool up the turbos. And so when that thing goes, it's just, like the fuse and go. Holy shit. Um, so that was fun. And then the same the same shoot we did front wheel drive fasties, as I call it. So the only three manual transmission front wheel drive turbocharged sedans you can get. So um, Hyundai Elantra N. This episode is live now. Yeah. Yep, you can watch it. It's Elantra N versus Jetta GLI versus Integra. And of course, then I had to have an Integra Type R, the original one there, for that. It was a lot of fun. So the opening sequence, we're so pissed off about it. It was supposed to be, it was, it was supposed to be me doing a static burnout in the original Type R. Because I was told by Honda, don't crash it, but you can do anything you want mechanically. We can fix it. It's stout. It's not going to break. I love that Honda has that much. Like this car turned 6,000 miles while I was driving it. I talked talk about that. And they're like, no, 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 just use it. Like, it's fine. Make great content out of it. Like, I love that Honda did that. So we bought wheel chocks, pulled the e-brake up, and just tried to do a static burnout. But the thing was so goddamn rip-roaring, ready to go. It kept pulling the rear wheels in the chocks. So we couldn't do the cloud of smoke that I wanted to do for the... Uh, so show. disappointing. Yeah, because there's nothing better than doing a static burnout. Close second is a reverse clutch dump burnout which i then did in the new car because i felt too bad about the old one like the new one you didn't do it in the old one not on camera (laughs) but apparently it wasn't smoky enough no i wasn't gonna do it i wasn't gonna do that on the old car we did a burnout and it could drag its rear wheels through the frame spinning the front tires it just didn't look dramatic enough and it wasn't enough smoke and i wasn't i wasn't gonna clutch kick that thing into second and hope for a, a continuation of that burnout even even i have a little bit of mechanical sympathy you just hide it well. Yeah. I, it's it's obscured by the tire smoke. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So what have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, I don't know. 
playing with cars, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Why? I heard you say something that I didn't like hearing. Where? What are? Where? Were you leading the witness? Yeah. Okay, Your Honor. I did you or did you not say you drove an E thirty nine M five? I did. And did you or did you not say you were incredibly disappointed and cried and? Um, incredibly disappointed. I. I was incredibly disappointed because so many people say that that is the best sports sedan ever made. Mm-hmm. And I have a long, and I have not driven every sports sedan in the world, but despite that fact, I have a long list of cars that have four doors that I prefer to drive over the E39 M5. All right, can I didn't, we all collectively gasp, ready? <gasps> I, I just, it wasn't very good at doing what I like to do. Okay, it, tell me about the car that you drove first. Like, was it 150,000 miles? Yes. It fell down a flight of stairs? Um, unclear about whether it had been down the flight of stairs. Uh, I think it was representative. Um, the, the complaints that I had about it were re- mostly related to suspension and chassis. Great motor. Uh, Hold on. Didn't your dad have an E39 and 5? Yes. That he got rid of for a Julia Quadrifoglio. Correct. Okay. But his was dynamed to death. Yes, okay. it was dynamed a bunch. It, I mean, it was an S2, so it had no, nominally 470 horsepower. Uh, I th- and it also had a shorter rear end ratio. It had a 315 instead of a, oh, I don't know what those cars, 291, or whatever, I yeah. think, normally. Uh, and so that car was wildly overpowered. But even with the with the stock one, with the, the standard differential ratio, I felt like it was overpowered in the sense that it was struggling to put down power somewhat, which, old, of course... Old tires on it? I mean, yes. That not old tires, bad tires. Mm. Uh, so, but but my complaint was not about its ability to put down power or the engine. I thought it was stout. It was, I mean, the ability even that it had limited to put down power was still plenty. Uh, I still felt like it was torquey and responsive. Great powertrain. I think it has a great powertrain. I didn't much care for the shifter. This one had a Dynon shifter on it, um, and maybe not the freshest gearbox. But my primary complaint relates to how fun the car was to hustle on a technical road which is, I think, what a sports sedan should do, right? The, the definition of sports sedan is that it should be an amusing car to drive, and I found it to be frustrating to hustle, not amusing. Okay. I mean, I'm just fantasizing about the amount of hate mail you're going to get. I, I mean, I don't know. Does, is this something that you, you, you find? I mean, I saw it. Okay. This, the standard that I use to judge a car, there's, there's two for technical roads if we're going to be in the Bay Area. One of them is Bolinas Fairfax Road, which is admittedly very bumpy and tight and technical. Okay. And so I was like, okay, I took it there and I was like, of course, no. it's not very good at that. No. Uh, and then I took it on Panoramic Highway and I, I didn't like it there either. And Panoramic Highway is a faster road with um, better pavement quality and you can go to second and third and back to second. And like, that's a classic, like sort of quintessential B road, twisty B road with elevation gain. And I, the chassis to me, it was just the, the weight management was like, and the map, the management of the car's mass was not very good. Like I always felt like I was driving around the mass and the weight transfer, which was not what I expect in a really great sports sedan. Especially up front. Yes, of course. I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I know that it has a steering box and everyone's like, oh, you want the 530 because it's a six cylinder and has a steering rack. I honestly didn't really care about that. My complaint was not with the steering. My complaint was the way that the car handles its mass and the way that it weight transfers. It's just not athletic feeling. It feels always like it's a heavy car and you're dealing with the, the weight transfer. And that is the thing that prevents you from saying, I'm not even necessarily at the limit, but I don't want to go faster than this because it's not fun because I'm dealing with all of the, the weight of the car. 
So list of cars with four doors that I felt like did have done a better job at uh, at handling the 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 weight and just sort of turning better. Um, you're gonna laugh at this one. The RS two. Oh, that's a five door. Doesn't count. Okay, I denied. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Uh, yeah, one ninety E Cosworth for sure. Uh, even though the steering is hilariously slow in that car, and the steering wheel, well, the steering wheel is very big, and so you're just doing a lot of flailing steering, in that car. The steering is quicker than an E30 M3. Um, but the steering, but your the amount of like sort of flailing that you yeah, feel like no. you're doing because of E30 the diameter of the steering wheel. Yeah, E30 M3 is that, that was a joke because 80s cars have very slow steering. Yes, I mean, what car did your car with your your uh, Beatrice with the, the fast rack in it still is a slow rack? No, that's 2.8 turns. It I mean, feels that's slow. a normal modern car. Yes, not, it, fe- it doesn't feel fast, rather. Not slow, but it doesn't feel fast. Uh, okay, and of course the black wings, which we talked about, because those are car, and I know 20 years have elapsed, blah, 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 blah. But like in terms of... 20, yeah. Sorry, yeah. just doing the math in my head, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the E39 M5 is 20 years old. Uh, so, yes, both of the black wings, the, I mean, the GTI, okay, also a five-door uh e28 m5 i enjoyed more than the e39 m5 in terms of hustling the car at the limit on a technical road and including i did it on stage road which is a very technical no also no center line bumpy road e28 m5 was better than e39 m5 i guess yeah and it weighs probably 500 pounds less and it just the the body control and the way that it was moving and handling mass was really a lot better in the e28 m5 which i was not expecting i was expecting e39 m5 to be the best because I know I, I have previously expressed disappointment with the way that the E39 M5 drives from my dad's car. And you were like, oh, it's modified and, you know, maybe not representative. But this car was not mechanically modified other than the short shifter. And I just didn't like driving it fast. I wasn't having fun. You're getting crucified. Uh, but here's the thing. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. From your perspective? You're, I mean, Okay. Why does everyone say that the E39 M5 is the best sports sedan of all time? Because they're talking about how it drives in the real world. So what you did was back roads, sort of like that that last 1% of what you do to enjoy your car. On a daily basis, E39 M5 is one of the best luxury sedans oh, that does sports. E36 things. M3 is also better. Much it's not a better. better car. It's, it's a much better. better car to hustle. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it that. But it's not a better car. So th- this is this is an interesting point. And the reason I've let you go on so long and pretended that I disagreed with you um, is just for fun. Um, but the reality of the situation is <clears throat> E39 is probably the best sports sedan overall that there is. And M5 is the best performing version of that. I once had an E39 525i wagon that I was leasing as my company car. And then I also had a, uh, a first year 528i sedan. So I had first year and last year E39s, first year with the 528 uh, and with the M52TU engine and then the 525 I with an M54 in it. Um, it was amazing to see. It was amazing to watch that all of my complaints from the early car were addressed and that my late car had no, I had literally no complaints with the car. I absolutely adored it. And I couldn't sell the early car. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and try to sell, a, you know, at the time, fifteen to $20,000 car. No way. <laughs> There's no market. You could sell $3,000 cars and then you could sell things that dealers could finance to people. But that was it. <clears throat> and so after a year of having two E39s, I said, fine, fuck this. Uh, the dealer had a Dynan modified M5 in. And I said, you know what? I'll trade both of the E39s in and get one M5. 
and I and you didn't brought them both to the dealership and I left in my cars. I did not love it. And the reason there were a couple of reasons why. Number one, steering box versus steering rack. So the six cylinder cars, as you mentioned, have a steering rack. I don't mind steering boxes. In fact, I love steering on Mercedes um, from back in the day with a, with a recirculating ball setup. I just don't think that's appropriate for BMW. BMW has some of the best racks in the business and didn't do the best. It's not. It's not that there was. It was bad, but there's just a better way. Um, and so yes. I just I prefer the steering rack on the six cylinder E thirty nines, but I really preferred the weight. Um, a five thirty i automatic because I don't think a manual belongs in an E thirty E thirty nine. Really? 530 automatic. Well, so a good friend of mine has a 530 manual, and I will agree with you that the the execution of the manual in that car is not, like, the best. It's just one of those cars that's too big to really, too big and too isolated to really enjoy a manual. Manuals work best in cars that are small and squirty and buzzy, and the engine is the centerpiece of the attention. And when you get cars that are that big... What winds up happening is the engineers just necessarily throw big, long, syrupy um, shift throws in there because it doesn't feel appropriate to have a like a snick, snick, Miata shifter in a big car. Um, well, and the motor is kind of um, a little bit inert feeling, like it's got a heavy flywheel. It's meant to be smooth. It's an executive car. Right? Right. So it doesn't, yeah, You if you have too fast a gear change in there, then the revs will be too high by the time yeah. you complete the gear change. Uh, and let the clutch out. And especially that V8, that S62 is a, that's S62, yes, um, um, is a slow, even though it's got independent throttle bodies, it's kind of a slow to rev, very inertial V8. As all cross-plane V8s are often that way, almost always that way. Um, and so you combine all of that, plus the isolation that you really don't hear that engine. Um, and it makes for a less involving experience, strangely enough, than a short-geared automatic 530i which is buzzier and more responsive and then far lighter on the front end i mean you've turned a 5 series a 530i or 525i on a back road feels massless where the v8 cars just don't i mean yeah i guess that was one of my primary complaints is that it the front end let go first also because there's all the weight on the front end and so you fix it with power if you have this in your situation where you can Mm -hmm. you know step the back out but it, it's not a precision instrument in that sense, right? You're controlling the line of the car by overwhelming the understeer by with oversteer, power oversteer. You can, I mean, look, you can fix that with an alignment. You can fix that with higher pressures. There, there are ways around there. But fundamentally, this is where we cumble, stumble on my conclusion. That, that car wasn't meant for slow, bumpy back roads the way we have here. That's an Audubon cruiser. And that's an Executive Express Audubon cruiser that deals with really high speed sweeping corners unbelievably well but that's then where that car doesn't shines. that not differentiate the that was the whole dichotomy that was supposed to exist between mercedes and bmw products and i have not driven an e34 m5 in anger uh and i'm interested to know this because of course when the 500e came out they were like their personalities are diametrically opposed and the the m5 is a car that you want to take to the racetrack and blah 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 and i was like this is not what i found with the e39 to be the case it was not a car that I had any desire to racetrack. No, to, not, to use not in stock, that way. Yeah. And of course, I guess if they're comparing it to 500e, which has non-defeatable traction control and blah blah blah. But if you if if what you just said about the E39 M5 being an autobahn car is true, then I don't see how it differentiates enough from the Mercedes approach. This has always been the conundrum. 
this has been the conundrum of the U.S. market dissecting BMWs versus Mercedes. Like we see ultimate driving machine versus engineered like no other, right? Your 500e was, you don't own it anymore, so I can really insult it now, a nightmare on a twisty hill mm-hmm. climb. It was just not fun at all. Um, I don't think an E39 M5 would be nearly that bad. First of all, that's true. brakes would not be on fire by the top of the hill. That's true. The top of the hill. It has defeatable stability control. It does have better balance. It does manage its weight better than a 500E, right? It's not different, different league entirely from a 2316, but the, my 2316 weighs 2,862 pounds. So we're talking about a car that weighs 1,300 pounds more, most of which is probably over the front axle. Um, so in, in those settings, you're talking about grades of you know, amazingness on the back road. Like W124 500D, take an E55 AMG. Ooh, you don't want to, you don't want to hustle that on a back road. Even my C43 AMG, which was, you know, a size smaller, wasn't, it was amazing on big high-speed sweepers, but the really I would say it's the best Mercedes though for doing that type of thing. It is is the the C43. It is, I think it is an order of magnitude better than a 500E at that sort of thing. Yeah, but it's nowhere close to a 2316. Yes, that's true. So yeah, C forty three was good. C thirty six, I'm sure, was the same. I'm saying basic. I've never driven one. Um, so it is better than BMW. But the thing is, Germans don't have roads like that. They don't have roads like Stage or Bofax. And they, have they have to go to the Alps, and even then, they're well paved, and it tends to be wider, you know, wider roads or wider corners, and not so many really insane off camber jumpy hairpins stuff like that. Just wouldn't the Europeans wouldn't build a road like that? Because the British would. Well, the British would just sort of pave over a dead hole. Boulder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a function of geography and also our expectations from the brand. You get out of the NM5 and into an E55 AMG from back in the day, and it was automatic only. And, you know, they were, it was a straight line car. They weren't bad on a racetrack, but it wasn't as good as the BMW. But now we look back and, oh, well, the E39 M5 weighed, weighs far less than a modern M5. And we think of it as a track car. It's just not. But as a daily driving Executive Express Swiss Army knife that does German Army knives that does everything well, what's better? I mean, I always want to have that option in my back pocket to haul ass on a good road. That's why I get so much value out of dailying the GTI. And now that the that you don't have to make that trade-off, for example, with the Blackwing... Or even in, I think, an E36. I would rather have an E36 M3. What you're giving up is stuff that's probably just not important to you, but there's a significant step back from an E39 interior to an E36. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. if you can't, if you're listening to this on the radio, I'm vomiting right now. I mean, <clears throat> I, I love me a good E36. Give me an E36 on a racetrack, on a back road. Let me beat the shit out of it. And they're fine for daily drivers, but they're, Self-recycling piles of shit on the inside. Yes, all that's true. And that E39 is built like a fucking tank. Oh, am I not supposed to say fuck? Fuck. Um, (laughs) E39s are built like tanks. I mean, that interior is stunning. They hold up really well, typically. Um, And if I had to pick a modern-ish car, I can't believe it's 20 years old, modern-ish car to spend every day in, well, that M5 is pretty not so bad. Yeah, as long as you don't have the carbon buildup problem. I would just get a 530. I mean, that's the sad thing is I don't need that much speed. And in the real world, sorry, I'm opening a drink. In the real world, I'm not sure a 530i is that much slower than an E39 and 5. They're geared much shorter. They're much mm, more responsive. I've driven them both. There's a big difference. In like traffic? 
I mean, yeah, what happens in second gear when you punch it in the M5 is like if you have the traction control off, it, it'll light up the back tires and there's something to be said for that. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, but that's only if you have shit tires on it. I mean, what we're zeroing in on is, the, I guess, the fundamental question is like, what is the definition of sports sedan mm -hmm. from your perspective? Because what you, the things that you're characterizing the M5 in terms of being strong at are not really intrinsic to sportiness. This is, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is not, it, it's a luxury sedan that happens to be able to keep up with, well, it was the fastest sedan in the world, right? I mean, it, it sort of shattered everyone's ex expectations of speed, but it did it without compromise, right? So here was something that was just as comfortable and just as luxurious as an E39, which was absolute top of the class, right? Some safest car ever tested by IHS, I think at the time, um, in crash tests. They did everything well. Oh, and it keeps up with Lamborghinis. I think that's what where it Except was. Except for like a twisty road. You don't think it would be a Lambo on a twisty road? No, no, no. It, it yeah. doesn't do everything well. It I mean, doesn't, it doesn't do a twisty road. It doesn't well. do Lotus Elise on a twisty road, but it's still a four thousand pound but luxury it, the, car. But it also doesn't do E thirty six M three on a twisty road. But it doesn't do E thirty six M three on. But does it do E twenty? I guess the question is, where where on the continuum do you want it? Because you can have it be a thousand pounds lighter and then have that shitty E36. And I'm shitting on E36. I don't mean that. If like if you own one, great, enjoy it. All right, but there's just. I'd no rather contest. have one. I'd rather have uh, an E28 M5. Also, I. Hmm. My problem with E28 M5 is even though I I love the especially Euros the way they look, <laughs> beautiful cars, nice interior great driving position steering box doesn't bother me it's a really nice steering they're so soft and um, yeah but it's no softer than an e39 m5 yeah it's got more body motions it's just it's wallowy no i i don't mind this my problem but is it the has better control of that the engine just doesn't ever scream i want the engine to scream yeah, but does an E39 M5 engine scream? No. It doesn't have well, I, to I because would, it's got so much torque. It's a 5 liter V8. Four, excuse me, 4.9 liter V8. Um, I found on a back road the, e, the E28 was much better. It felt lighter. It felt more athletic. It changed directions better. It was yeah. easier to hustle the car. Mm -hmm. Like I, the, the standard that I use is basically with the E28, there was never a point where the car was doing anything where I was like, oh, I have to slow down because things are going wonky. It was more up to my limitations. Whereas the E39, at some point it's like, okay, that's enough fun for me. Like there's more available, but it'll be scary. And you can do that if you want. And I just, I don't like that. I don't like mm -hmm. when the car's sort of inability to control its motions get in the way of me having a good time. And the E28, that did not happen in E39. It did. It did. This and it did not happen in the RS2 either. And it did not happen in five door obviously count. the Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so yes, list of cars that I prefer to drive on a back road are the Cadillacs, both of them. Uh, definitely Julia Quadrifoglio. And I know these cars don't count because they're modern. They're oh, more modern. Smaller, but too. when people say best of all time, the CT5 is not smaller. CT5 is not. CT4 is. Uh, and the RS2 and the GTI and the E28 M5 and the E36 M3. When there's that long of a list of cars that I would rather drive on a back road, to me, there's no reason why. I mean, if you want a nice interior, then get, I don't know, something like a... This is the thing also that BMWs are also generally required to do. It's a one-car solution. Right. It's like you, you need it to do this, 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 and this, and then you only have one car. Like, okay, I'd I, for me, I'd still choose any number of those other cars that I just listed. I don't first. think any of them do what... 
all of the things that an E39 does. Obviously, what you want in a car is probably yes. different. Is a skewed. Everyone's going to skew one direction or other. But go right down the middle and tell me a car that is beautiful, well crafted, incredibly safe for its time, relatively efficient for its time. Let's see, fourteen twenty were EPA numbers on that car. Something weren't, weren't that considering it was the most horsepower ever in a sedan or some stupid shit like that, right? Um, that could go around a corner, that could play back road on a sort of wider European road, that was an Autobahn blaster, that was a quiet, soft, But all of these statements cruiser. you're making are in terms of for its time. And whenever you have a for its time statement, what you need to, to do is not, you can't think about it objectively in terms of for its time because then all the modern stuff is better at doing this stuff. And so it's like, okay, so it, it needs to, the, what's left after for its time, this is the argument I made at the end of the LFA video that I did, is that the LFA is not the highest performance car even in its time that you could buy, but it's special for other reasons. And the reason why it's special is because it's really well made and because it gives you a great experience and blah, 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 blah. And the E39 M5 does not leave enough behind of experience and specialness for me to be willing to give up the things that you do by not choosing a more modern car or an older car or whatever, a car from a different era. And this is what made the going or the Duesenberg SJ special is that you have all of these technical features and then you get all of it comes together to give you a really great experience. And the experience is what it all comes back, comes to. back to. And the E39 M5 experience for me wasn't, I did, I wasn't pleasurable. It wasn't fun enough to give up things versus a new car, which it does things better or versus the, the car before it or two generations before it. And so then what are you left with? If it's not fun to drive and it's not performance because it's not modern I mean, I, to say an E39 M5 is not fun to drive, I think, is, is one It's step. not as fun as f the six other cars that I just listed with four okay. doors. Here's what you've also inadvertently stumbled on. My theory that good cars suck. Cars that are terrible and are but are charming are the ones that make great collectibles overall for those of us who are stupid and are fortunate enough to have multiple cars. Right, if you don't need a one car solution that does it all in a classic car world, there are far better choices than an E39 M5 because an E39 M5 is so well sorted and so good at doing so many other things. And it was the best in its day, which means it's then compared to other cars at other functions. Whereas something that was genuinely awful as being a car winds up being an incredible thing to own later on because it's just so much stupid fun. So look at my the garage of cars that I have. Mark 1 Volkswagens, terrible at being cars, stupid fun, right? E30s, at this point, pretty good cars, but back in the day, you'd have people getting like, this isn't a luxury car, why is it $27,000 in 1987? They're genuinely expensive. For what? For a shit vinyl interior? No, we love it because of the straight six and the, you know, assy handling balance and the steering. That wasn't relevant to buyers, so therefore, terrible car. It was sold well because it was a yuppie machine. Lotus Elise, terrible car. All of these cars are bad cars, which make them charming now. The E39 was too good of a car. Yes, the question is like if it's a spider web diagram, right? Do you want something that's like a circle, basically, if you mm -hmm. plot out all mm -hmm. of its capabilities, but it's in here? Or do you want something that's like spiky and characterful and is really strong in this axis and shit in this other axis? You know, and which experience is going to be... And if you only enjoyable. have one car and a spouse who, or a partner who doesn't want to ride in something miserable or wants to be safe or whatever, and maybe you have a kid, ugh, or... <laughs> 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 Sorry, I 
should probably be nicer. You have a kid. <laughs> kid. No, I mean, I'm trying to defend this car because what it is is too good of a car to, to appeal to someone like you who has a tolerance for cars that are genuinely shitty. Um, and so then it becomes compared to a modern car and then you have a really big problem. Yes, that's the guess the issue is that the car is close enough to the modern capability that you start to judge it against modern cars. Mm-hmm. That and then, but then you do that, and then it falls down because there's so many other. Th- I mean, it's just the ability, magnetorheological dampers, which is one thing that has dramatically changed the way that big cars go around corners and modern tires. I mean, that combination of the 4S and magnetorheological dampers. There's no way an E39 M5 could compete against that stuff. So it was yet it's not like textural right. full enough to to really classify as an old car. So interestingly enough, if you gave me an E39 M5, I did this comparison test years ago, E39 M5 and Pontiac G8 GXP. Um, The E39 M5 was so much better of a car, just way stronger structure. And by the way, the Pontiac G8, that whole alpha platform, whatever that platform was, that Australian platform, was a ripoff of E39 and E60. by GM's own admission. I mean, they just basically were like, this is the best. We're just going to copy everything from there. Um, it had better steering. Once you got to a Chevy SS and you then got magnetorheological dampers and some really great tuning, the the Chevy SS is a far better sorted sports sedan than the E39 M5 was. The flip side of it was, it was like the Walmart supersize me shitbox version of that, right? So by we're talking relative terms, crap interior crap build quality i mean i remember just opening the hood and seeing the the, the test car it was an ss or a g8 that i had i don't remember which one but it was brand new the vacuum booster on the, on the brakes they didn't even bother to galvanize the fucking metal so it was bright orange and rusted and the car had just arrived like that week from australia on a boat and i thought okay great i'm gonna open the hood of my new car and there's an ls in there and holy shit it's rusted to the, i just who does that when I had at the time a 15-year-old E39 M5 that had like 180,000 miles on it, lived outside, didn't give a shit, open the hood, it's perfect. Um, so you really took a huge, huge step back in build quality. You got more interior space, more sort of Americana type importance, but and then a much better drive. And that was my problem. Once you got to Chevy SS, you found a modern car that actually out, that beat the M5. That LS was just as charming as the M5's motor. Didn't have the immediate ITB throttle response, um, but it was blippier and revier. And now you get to Blackwing, and I, I, I would pr- prefer Blackwing without that supercharger because I think that's just overkill. And the gears are now too long because it can't. You're talking about it. the CT5, yeah, CT5 Blackwing. But uh, but overall, like a V8 powered front wheel, uh, front engine, rear drive manual transmission sedan, Chevy SS, and it was kind of the high watermark there. And, and that's the problem. It did everything dynamically better than an E39 M5, but it then had the shit interior. I mean, yeah, the for, the, for me, that was the missing piece ultimately with the black wings was that you can take them on these technical twisty tight roads and they are enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And so then you are left with this thing where you're like, oh, it's not just great for a sedan, it's great period. Mm-hmm. Like, And I'm not sure that I would need a whole lot more capability. In fact, once things start to get more buttoned down and you do sort of sports cars it starts to get boring because you cross into this supercar no man's land where the cars are so fast that you can't enjoy them on the street right the black wing you can enjoy on the street but it doesn't for 
CT4V Blackwing, you can definitely join the street. I found CT5V boring. Yeah, I agree with that because you can't give it full throttle for more than two seconds at a time. Yeah, and first uh, gear is 62 yeah. miles an hour, whatever it was. It just, it was too much. It, it, there's, not a, there's not an insult on the car. The car itself was just too good for this world. Uh, we don't live in a world and certainly not a geographic region here where we could ever exploit that kind of power. Um, so I'd rather have, give me a naturally aspirated. And the thing about the, the black wings is now their interiors are now up to E39 standards. Right? Nice interiors. <laughs> the, the Chevy SSs that we had would whistle. So we always had problems recording audio. And I think you probably hear it on the old Motor Trend video where Randy does a flyby in the car and you just hear it. <laughs> there was like a whistle under the hood we could never find there were piles of shit in the in the most charming possible way but in a like this car is going to decompose way oh, or yeah. in a just in a like uh this isn't that nice but it'll last forever right like if you imagine a world war ii jeep like it's not beautifully made or whatever but it's going to last forever but it's not like a, a high rent experience is it that it's going to actually fall apart, or is it just that it's like a not a premium? The interior was going to fall apart. I mean, I think we mm -hmm. lost a pillar trim in one of the cars over a pothole, and they were just not really well built. They're American cars built, you know, they're Australian cars, actually. But, you know, in typical sort of American car style, they got a lot of the engineering right. They got a lot of the fundamentals of that right. The proportions are right. They were good-looking cars and whatever. And then they were just kind of like some asshole in a fucking accounting hat was like yeah save three cents on that interior and just don't put a clip in there and the first pothole you hit the fucking headliner falls off it's just one of those you know american sorry you, you there's gonna have to be a for that price there you're gonna have to have something's got to give and what gives is that final fit and finish but blackwing doesn't have that issue yeah 100 percent it, it's really a, quite yeah. a nice place to be and this was always the issue with corvettes i don't know if it still is but certainly with the c5 the C5 is just hilarious inside. Um, hmm. Okay, it's, C8's better, but the funny thing about C8 is the Corvette guys are like, this interior is fucking amazing. Judged against all of the previous Corvette interiors? Yeah, it's amazing. Judged against Porsche Porsche interiors? No. So, that was the C7. C7 was decent C7 was too, right? Okay. I mean, it was that was great. There's another one that was great by Corvette standards, but not great by Porsche standards, for example. And that's that's my comparison. That you know, those Porsche interiors, excepting nine nine six and nine eight six, that sort of generation of cars. Those interiors were are just the best. Yes, definitely excepting nine eight six and nine nine six. I mean, you can accept them those cars for most things. Oh, I mean, look, I accept the way they drive. They're wonderful. So they are nice to drive. Yes. But I, I when I had a nine eight six back in the day, somebody was like, "That thing is so beautiful." And there's looking in my interior of the car. I'm like, I'd burn a Daihatsu for having fucking plastics like this. Don't tell me this is a nice. I mean, interior. it can be fixed if you option them correctly. No, not the it can be part. hidden somewhat. Yeah, you can hide it with leather. I had yeah, I had a nine ninety nine, and that had the full leather on the dash, mm -hmm. and that really helps. And it had aluminum gauges and aluminum shifter. It still smelled cells. like wet dogs inside from shitty glues. And they were just not. Yeah, no, you're right. It's not right. what they did. They don't have to be, you know. They were ugly too, by the way. Yes. I had two of them. True. I had a 986 and a 986. And they were both fucking ugly. Not what they do. Yes. And it's a lot easier now that they're the cheapest 911 you can buy effectively. Because mm -hmm. you're just. I, this was the nice thing for me in the 996 was that. It was, for me, a daily driver because I bought it on Craigslist for $17,000. And so for a 911, that's not very much money. You know, objectively, it is a sizable pile of money. But if it's if you're getting a 911 experience for $17,000, you're like, oh, this is you very pleasant yeah. and tolerable mm -hmm. because I'm paying $17,000 and not, you know, 
$77,000 like they cost new. So this is my, something goes wrong. This is my problem with 997s, which are really good. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to own one. Less than zero desire to own one. And it's for the same reason that you don't didn't like that E39 and 5. They're too good. Too good. They're just too good. They're buttoned down. If I needed to get rid of all of my cars and have one sort of classic, now I can't believe a 97 is classic, but one 20-year-old car that kind of does everything well that I can commute in and I could put shit in and I can rely on and I can do a back road and whatever, fine. Then I'd have one. But, you know, as I insult all of our friends. I'd go air-cooled. Okay, so you're talking different budget. Oh, that's right. God, I keep forgetting that things have changed. Well, 997s have gone expensive. A good 997 is $50,000 now. Yeah, that's true. But it's also modern car reliable, modern car safe. I mean, they do things that the cars just don't. You're right. Um, And I'm willing to tolerate that stuff because I live in a place with good weather. You have a GTI that you drive every day. You don't need it to do GTI duties. I I have also a Golf that I don't need any of these old cars to actually function as daily transportation. And we're really lucky in that sense. We live in a place that we can drive these old shit boxes every day. Okay, so this, the, the standard by which E39 M5 is considered the best sports sedan is because it is well-rounded. Yeah, it does everything. It does more things better than any other car before or since until probably Blackwing. Chevy SS, you know, is dynamically way better, um, but not premium. Not premium. It wasn't, you know, you got in it between the whistles and the wind noise and the fucking interior cracking. For, rattling for me, the definition of sports sedan is sports car in a sedan body. And that, I guess, is not how most people define sports sedan. Well, then what, here's, here's the question. What's the definition of sports car? Because it's sports car in a sedan body. We know what a sedan body is, even though you think an RS2 is a sedan because it has five. Doors. I said four doors. <laughs> I didn't say, I purposely didn't use the word sedan. Shit. Um, <laughs> But what, so what's the definition? Four or more doors. What is your definition of sports sedan? So this is what I was just sort of keying into is that it is a car that does what a sports car can, but has four doors. You can't use the definition of one word in its own definition. Okay. It is a car that is gratifying to drive on the most technical back roads. That's not a sports car. Uh... I mean, if you're going to go oh, with like the the vintage definition of sports car, it's that it had some purpose for the activity of sport, i.e., competition, some yeah. basis of competition. But that never really, that never really stuck. I, I think. I mean, if you go back to like the 1950s, that's kind of okay. how. Yeah. I mean, did MGAs or MGBs? So I looked. Sports cars. Yeah. I looked up this definition for that for the Z oh, icons video and sports cars. Historical definition. The first use of it was like. I don't know, 1918 or something. Uh, and it, sooner. I don't know what the fuck it was. It, whatever it was, but it was always seemed to describe a, a two-seat open-top car that prioritized speed and experience over other uh, practicalities. That's yeah, it. I mean, that's like a satisfactory definition, I guess. I, it, okay, so that's my definition also of a sports car, even though I just don't think that's the It's general, a recreational device. Right. So that's why the Miata is the best sports car there is in the world, because as a recreational device, it's way more fun than anything else you can buy. But I don't think the wider market views a sports car that way. They would say the best sports car is a, 99, is a 911, and I no longer think that's a sports car. Yeah, I know that's what you mean by that. a luxury car with... Or it's a GT or... It's a GT. Uh, I, I think the critical definition, and this was the definition when Americans were discovering sports cars after World War II, was that they were supposed to be, I mean, it, it was very obvious because the American car was so homogenous. It was this big separate frame thing with, you know, overhead, uh, no, valves. not overhead. Overhead valves. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe early, <laughs> early post-war. 
Uh, and there was just such a huge dichotomy bet- or, or chasm between what American cars were and what these, you know, the, the classic definition or, or explanation of Americans discovering sports cars is servicemen coming back from the UK and having discovered MGs over there. Right. Uh, and reflection of the built environment, the cars are smaller. All the cars are smaller, but the sports cars there are really like little. really little and, you know, usually open top and didn't have wind-up windows. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to usually... This is like interpreting the Constitution. If you're going to use the the literal like in period definition mm-hmm. that they used, like a sports car had to have side curtains and not wind up windows. If it had wind up windows, then it mm-hmm. wasn't really a sports car. Right. Obviously, this definition is no no longer with us or applicable. Yeah, but with the, I think what we how we both define sports car is the intent of it, right? If this is a recreational, yeah, it's a vehicle recreational device that's not made for daily transportation, but can do it, but it's not its primary purpose. There are very few cars left. Yes. So that that renders your definition of a sports sedan kind of without any chance. Well, so what I mean when I in my definition of sports sedan is that it is capable of the same level of entertainment and competence on a technical road as a sports car, mm-hmm. but it is also but it has four doors. Yeah. I mean, so so the what where does the Dodge Viper? Have you driven a Viper in anger? Uh, first gen first gen okay so the later one I, the one that i haven't driven you survived congratulations you must be a good driver um the the later ones are not good on a bumpy sport the bumpy back road they just run out of suspension travel they kind of scrape i almost knocked myself even with a five-point harness almost knocked myself unconscious by hitting my head on the, the ceiling on those cars they a lot of vertical motions so i'm just trying to pick away at your definition because i think effectively what you want in a sports car can't exist in the modern world or in a sports sedan can't exist in the it modern does. world. it does ct4 we... blackwing okay that's Fair. why we have this episode two yeah. three whatever five episodes ago that's like says ct4 blackwing is the best sports sedan yeah there are very, the problem is there are very few sports cars left and there are very few cars that, that exist for the experience of that car. And the CT4 is great, but give me a real engine in that thing, and then it'd be a very different yes, story. Yes, yes. No insult to the team who did the V6 on that, but V6. Yes, but a V6, a turbocharged V6 will always be a turbocharged V6. As they say, you can't polish a turd. A turd-do-charged V6? Uh, turd-do-charged. At least it's not turbocharged. So um, do we, are we going to have to go get like private security for you after insulting E39F5s? No, all of those guys are busy doing sending in their black uh, blackstone samples. Right, check for bearing wear. <laughs> yes, um, the California license plate blackstone or some misspelling of it is available, and I suggested it to my friend as a vanity plate for that car. Oil test or something. Just blackstone rod bearing, brng. That's probably taken. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. by someone with a. Um, what is it with M cars and rod bearings? Yeah, I believe not a single one exempt from for real M engines anyway. Yes, I was just going to say, except for the E36 M3, which comes back as being the answer for me. Um, So yes, that mission needs to be satisfied by a sports sedan for me. And I guess most people don't feel that way. If you needed to drive it every day, I think you'd you'd probably come closer to center because it's a magnificent car to live with as the E39 as in general. And if you want E39 experience plus carbon buildup. Oh, every rose has its thorns. I mean, should we go through the list of shit that your car does? Which we, one? All of them. <laughs> no, we <laughs> most certainly should not. I mean, everything's got a drawback. So you're going to have carbon buildup. You're going to have rod bearing issues, and there's that's all there. Because it would. Is there a dog in here? Of course. Now he stops barking. Did I just imagine that? No, I had a dog. You you had a dog. Or you heard, heard a dog. I was heard a dog. Say, 
Um, yeah, um, just, I, I get it. I mean, I totally understand your, your point. I would rather own a 530i um, because I'd rather drive that every day. But if I really, if I thought about, if I had to get down to one car and needed passenger space and everything else, M5 is a good one car solution. It's just not a good. As long as you don't need a lot car. of uptime. Right. Oh, they're not that bad, Mr. Mira owner. Well, don't, I fully don't. admit that car has like 60% uptime. And the Alpha? Uh, well, hold on. Every Alpha you've ever owned? You have Nothing ever went wrong with the GTV6. Nothing, in terms of reliability and functionality. Nothing could have possibly gone wronger than the car itself. Yeah, but at least it always... I, I mean, I, I put a lot of miles on that car without incident. Hmm. It always started, except for the tw- two times... Never mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, uh, this car had this thing where if the battery was too weak, I guess it would not have enough juice. This is my hypothesis. It's based on nothing. But what the car would do is if the battery was too weak, it would crank, but it wouldn't start. Yeah, couldn't fire the uh, ignition. Ignition. And so then it would flood with fuel. Mm -hmm. And so then I would have to take the spark plugs out to let the fuel evaporate out of the Mm -hmm. cylinders while I was charging the battery. And then after you put the spark plugs back in and charge the battery, then it would start. This is is the standard by which Hyphen judges cars' reliability. I never had a single problem with that car, but there was this one thing, which was every single time you started the car, if the battery wasn't at 100% state of charge, it would just flood the engine. Yeah, tee hee. No one's putting up with that shit, right? You have the ability to, in your driveway or your garage, pull the plugs out or just hop in your GTI or any of the other 253 cars you own. You have to remember, you're exceptional. Uh, you just call me special special you're special but no i mean put yourself in give me answer this question for me you have forty thousand dollars to spend all in tax included what's your one car solution got to make it to work every day you have a job that if you don't make it on time you get written up or fired you have a partner kids dogs whatever it is what is it you're relegated to that one car gti a good choice but that means no rear-wheel drive drifting i know this is my problem that is the that is the biggest drawback of that car mm-hmm. is that it's front wheel drive but I, I but dynamically i don't care on a back road for the most part because it rotates so well and it is such a gratifying car to hustle Did you put a zero three four bar on the back of that car of course yeah. <laughs> I, well, I i bought on the first day that i bought the car i was like jason's full of it i don't need a rear sway bar it's fine and i went around two clover leaves that day and i was like i called them immediately and i was like when can you get me in uh i mean it is the thing you do and it makes such a difference it's so much fun if i get back in the e-golf and i haven't driven in a while and I, you know the, the, there's an on-ramp that's 270 degrees around uh around this corner and it drops off and it's fucking hellacious and i with the bump in with the middle the bump in the middle basically a jump in the middle and every single time i get in that car if it's been more than a couple of weeks i fling it into this on ramp and i'm like oh my god i can't believe the force and then it jumps and the car is fine over the little bit of a jump and then i sort of lift breathe a little bit because the camera goes away and it just ducks in and i'm here in my electric golf cart matted foot on the floor little bit of opposite lock and i just go thank you zero three four motorsports because you have made oh god that fucking car i know it's it's such an enjoyable car so yes that is like uh i know i can't believe i just said that but i think that i i get more value because i get because i spend time on bumpy b roads hauling ass a lot the gti is a better answer to that question for me for kind of the best forty thousand dollars so you um, would choose an uh, a Mark Seven GTI over an E thirty nine and five. 
I think that is just where I have landed because the E39M5, E39M5 is not fun on backroads in the mm. same way. Okay. And I value that experience. And so the 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 origin of sports sedan, if, as we have explored, is Alfa Romeo doing this with uh, the Giulietta Ti and then the Giulia Super. And those cars were not just a sports car or not just a sedan that could do what a sports car could. It was literally a sports car with a sedan body that they put on it. Like mm-hmm. under the skin, it's the same as their contemporary, right? uh, yeah, 105s and the the 750s, I guess, early on when they, when it first appeared in the 50s. And to me, that is like the sort of timeless, you know, if that's the, the those are the people who invented the idea of sports sedan, then uh, that definition still holds true for me. This is why you haven't driven new BRZ yet or Toyota GR86. Mm-mm. holy shit if that thing was a shooting brake like if that was a four-door wagon or a shooting brake i would probably sell half of my cars i mean i could definitely get rid of the e-golf even though i want something electric but i could get rid of the e-golf the lotus and beatrice um and i'd have one car that does everything better than all of those cars like it'd be the perfect track car so if you G- imagine gti with an na motor naturally aspirated motor but almost as quick or just as quick and rear drive come on come on come on yeah that's that's what the market is missing which is basically what you're describing is also the e36 3 series and e46 3 series yeah to some extent e39 i I mean like an e36 318 ti but with a six cylinder in it would kind of be the world's most perfect daily or an e36 wagon Mm. sure frumpy looking i'm this is a maybe a reason why i'm particularly interested also in the corolla gr i think it has the potential to do the same thing turbocharged this is the i30n but it's front wheel drive i30n i could get behind i mean veloster n is genuinely one of my favorite drives of the last 10 years um and i just had an elantra n for that drag race my god is that fucking thing ugly but good i meant to say good my god is that thing good it's so good and so ugly at the same time that's um, why the i30n is the yeah. answer because it's, it's like the fundamentally the same car but in an attractive hatchback have you, did, have you driven a veloster uh, i've never driven don't you'd sell your gt on the spot the thing is it's ugly it's got a crappy interior and, and the package would, is not that useful yeah but you wouldn't give a shit practical it's everything your gti should be dynamically um can't have it all There's, there is no perfect daily but but a gr86 shooting brake would be close enough that would mm. be perfection i mean think about something in the package of your golf with a straight six and a manual and rear drive can you <laughs> imagine i'm gonna melt out of I my mean, chair that, that was the idea of the original one series like that was supposed to be a, a rear drive golf with a six cylinder the, the hatch obviously never came here but that would be like the holy grail for me like i want a car that size that shape that form factor um which is basically my e30 wagon just modernized with yes a little bit shorter yeah all right so maybe I'll choose an E30. No, I can't. You can't daily drive an E30 anymore. That's not safe. Oh, I, I never think about safety. I, I do. I do. It's why I have the e-golf. I can't. You're sort of in traffic. <laughs> drive the Beat. Here, I'll give you the keys okay. to the Honda Beat. That's when you really start thinking about safety. I think about it in the Giulietta also, because it ha- especially because it has drum brakes. <laughs> All right. So, y- y- Mister, I drive a drum drum brake Alfa Romeo that definitely doesn't break down except four times a day. I don't like how good the E39 M5 is. Uh, the Juliet has been quite reliable. It's had some maintenance, but it's never stranded me. We only had to bump start it once. Whatever. I mean, it's an old, the, the car at that age 
you know, I just always remember Saturday Night Live did a, a thing about what's her name? Uh, God. Gilda Radner. No, it was. Um, oh, shit. I have fucking old person syndrome. Fucking. Duh. She was an actress and Saturday Night Live in the 80s did things about her. She had the palsy. Oh. Um, um. Uh, fuck anyway but anyway there was they would do this gets ongoing somebody's gonna correct me and whatever but she's in my age i could do anything i want and that's exactly the way your alpha is at that car's age free pass and it genuinely like functions like i've never had to tow it stop Just checking right now and knock on that piece of wood you're flirting with disaster here especially before monterey car week because hmm. you're probably gonna bring something stupid like that it could happen. Okay. All right. All right. This has been episode 61 uh, or two. I don't know. 61, I think. Of the Carmudgeon Show, which is part of the Haggerty, Haggerty Podcast. Pod clap Net Fuck. Network. Haggerty Podcast Network. Um, yes. That's all good. So until next time, which will be around. Oh, next episode, I think. Still be August a week 8th. before. Will be before car, uh, before the um, car week. Car week, which means I'll basically be buried under a car, crying, getting something ready. You bring this on yourself. Uh, you know what you bring on yourself? The fucking security that you're going to need to protect you <laughs> from all the E39 people when they're done getting their Blackstone Blackstone oil analysis. They're coming after you for telling them their car is too good to be good enough for Derek Tam Hyphen Scott. Or bad it, enough. You heard it here first. We can leave now. Okay, let's leave. We're, we're going to make like a leaf and tree. <laughs>